let's pray and then get started this morning. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to gather together in the sunshine, in the park, as community, as family, to um, celebrate you in our lives, to be inspired by your story through scripture and through each one of our own lives individually. We just ask today that through discussion, through our teaching, through our time together, that each of us feel closer to you and closer to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we have been the last two Sundays reading through Galatians as a church. I don't need it. You're good. Um, and so today we're reading uh, the last two chapters of it, Galatians 5 and 6. But to recap a little bit, uh, for those who are here, this is uh, really a fantastic letter that's written to a church and a community that reminds me of Bloom or America or where we're sitting, and so it's, it's really relevant. And sometimes we'll read the scriptures and it doesn't seem relevant. And so to take something and to put it into context and look at it in the lens of, if Paul was writing us a letter today, what would he say? What of the things he's telling this church, what applies to us? What's the same? What can be, what's this, what kind of is relative? And so the first two chapters of Galatians, he starts telling us how easy it is to get off track and onto something else or to start adding religion into uh, an experience that should not be, that should be by faith and by following the spirit, not a set of rules or principles or... Uh, these guidelines that we fake relationship with God with. And he says that a lot of times it comes with po- following what's popular to everyone else or trying to people please. And this is where we get like sidetracked so easy. And following what's popular and people pleasing obviously has a lot to do with the society we're in, the way advertising works, TV, whatever. This is, this is relevant to a metropolis church as Bloom might be. Then last week, we went through Galatians 3 and 4, and he really starts to get, he's like, if God has perfected you, if we really believe that, he's like, why are you trying now to add any kind of growth to your life by trusting in human effort instead of by God's Spirit? Why are you not following after the Spirit? And he says, this has got to be hard to understand. So he gives us three analogies in the second two chapters, three stories, three parables, three rephrasing how things, to try to get their head around things, because this this obviously isn't coming easy, and he needs to get them thinking about it differently. And so the first one he tells about a tutor, and he says that a rule-based system came to humanity as a tutor to show them that it, it there's just no way to do it on your own. There's no way, there's no set of rules, no set of to-dos that can ever make us right with God, or even fix what's ailing in the world around us. And his second analogy... Uh, the first one's trying to get us as a society past this human effort of trying to do it all on our own without trusting in God. And then the second one he gives is an inheritance. If someone dies and leaves you something in a will, talking about Jesus giving us this gift of, of just perfect standing with him, that, there, that everything is settled between us and God, that this gift, this inheritance can't be changed. He's gone. This isn't something someone can add to or subtract from. This is, this is solid. And he's using verbiage that the people of the time would understand and connect with. And then the last one is uh, a promise he made to a friend. This, Ab- this story of Abraham and Sarah and how they got impatient. They're like, okay, you promised us this, you're not coming through. And this is where we get the handmaiden story. Why don't we just 
bring the servant in here and have a baby with her instead. And then not too long later, they get this promised baby. And so it shows this, this, this not wanting to be patient for God, this trying to do it on our own, this being swayed by something else. And he's been doing this whole thing to this, this church of Galatians, which, which really does seem similar. And he gets to this place now in these last two chapters where he's like, he starts relating, if, if we do have a foundation and trust that we're cool with God, how do we act then? Where do we go forward with this? What does this freedom look like? And that's what we're going to get into today because he starts comparing life of a selfless life or a selfish life. A life that is chasing cravings or a life that's meeting the needs of others. And he says they're completely different. They, they don't jive together. We can't have them both. Uh, and I just even think of my own life in uh, even being a, a spiritual leader of a church, like trying to either at times getting impatient and like, what can we do differently? Uh, or the moments when we really are trusting and like uh, following God or trying something unique and we are not opposed to trying something unique like meeting in the park instead of a building. Um, but I want to start in Galatians 5.1 and the verses are on the little sheet that you have if you want to follow along for this. He says, So stand strong for our freedom. The liberating king has freed us so that we wouldn't spend one more day under the yoke of slavery. Don't let anyone get you turned around or trapped under the law. And some translations say, or any rule-based system that's meant to undermine God, that just comes in the way of trust in God. He says, you and anyone else who seeks to be on the right side of God through the law have effectively been cut off from the anointed, circumcised from grace, and cast off from the favor of God. And so he starts talking to this church about waiting confidently. Again, he's back to the patience and the waiting. And he's, if we look at verse 5 in the scriptures, he says to, to continually live through the Spirit's power and wait confidently in hope that, that God is going to put everything in order. That he's been reordering things. He's healing things. He's making this world new. If we look at the poem that makes up Genesis, it starts by saying, well, in English, a lot of times it's translated that the earth was without form or void. But if you look at the origins of this word, it, it, it makes it seem like the earth was chaotic and broken. And so it's been this rebuilding of something that was chaotic and broken, turning it into a garden, turning it into something beautiful. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, depending on his audience, is among us now. And so it's always been about restoring the world, bringing God's way of doing things. And so Paul starts getting to how do we enter into to being people who are planting seeds that are building this kingdom together. And he says what makes the difference is faith energized by love. He's always about trusting in Jesus and having something, love energizing us to look different, to act different. Uh, in verse 13 he says, Brothers and sisters, God, God has called you to freedom. So hear this call and do not spoil this gift by using your liberty to engage in what your flesh desires. Instead, use it to serve each other as Jesus has taught us through love. For the whole law comes down to this one instruction, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see this parallel about the flesh's desires or human desires or just selfish meeting whatever needs we want versus meeting the needs of someone else. And he starts to make it clear and starts going into this more and more. But he talks about a life being, of freedom being opposite of this. And I don't know the rest of you, but religion can seem the opposite of freedom so many times. When we get into programs or we get into judging each other or we start to put 
wrong expectations either on ourselves or someone else or even wrong expectations on God, what we think he should look like. Uh, there's a verse in Matthew where he says, are you jealous of my goodness and my generosity to someone else? Like we get, we get upset. We're human. We get frustrated. I want to read from the message translation this next part. You can read along as well. It's the one that's verse 16 there. But I like the way that he, that the author Eugene Peterson puts this in here. He says, my counsel is this, to live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed on the compulsions of selfishness. For there's a root of self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit. And so this life that's, that's just compelled by self-interest and self-desires and meeting desires, he says, is completely at odds with a life of freedom in the Spirit. Just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are anti-theoretical. You cannot live at times one way and choose the other, uh, but being led by the Spirit, uh, we will escape the erotic compulsions of a law-dominated life, this life of just trying to set things in order on our own, to make our own rules of doing things, this erotic compulsion of just... Erratic, not erotic compulsion. Erratic compulsion. Maybe the same thing. Um... You never know. Depends on where the compulsion's coming from. Yeah, Freudian slip. Uh, I'm glad we think that's funny. But yeah, selfish cravings. How many of us relate to that? Like, there's just times when, in life, we find ourselves contemplating, man, all I'm doing is chasing after stuff I think I want. Stuff I think I need. Stuff I think I'm craving. Uh, And I know this more than anyone. Like, I try so hard not to eat sugar because it messes with my skin, but man, when I am craving an Oreo, there is nothing that can stand in the way sometimes of that, and we laugh, but I'm, I'm serious, like, all of a sudden, it's all I'm thinking about, man, an Oreo, or a beer on, after mowing the lawn, or whatever, like, that sounds so good right now, and all of a sudden, that's what, that's what I'm thinking about, that's what I'm planning and figuring out, and I could miss phone calls, I could miss opportunities to hang out with someone, because I'm on a mission for Oreos, or some of us, it's shopping, we get addicted to something we want. A shirt we saw someone else have and for some reason it captures us this desire uh, captures us and it, it roots our attention in this and Paul's like this is this is different from the life of the spirit and he starts to show us how uh, he's like this has nothing to do with your relationship with God we're not trying to make you pious and not enjoy life and that God will turn his back on you or he frowns on you he's about I'm talking about creating the kingdom of God around us like helping our neighbor and he's like helping your neighbor and just chasing after your cravings are two opposing different things that are at war on the inside of us at all times. Um, and so in verse um, 19, he tells us, It's obvious what kind of life develops when you're always trying to get your own way. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, uh, sinking accumulation of a mental and emotional garbage, Frenzied and joyous grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an importance to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I could go on. This starts to 
almost sound like law in itself. Like there's a set of new rules. Like, oh man, just don't be chasing your own stuff. But he spent the whole part of this letter trying to get us off this sense of trying to do it on our own. And so he's relating this to like following the inspiration of your spirit. In spirit comes from the word, or inspired comes from the word being in spirit, tapped into the divine that's already on the inside of you doing something. I'm just... Can you guys hear all right? Is it going okay? I'm sorry. I'm distracted today. I'm glad to have the pavilion next Sunday on our own. Um, And he says the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit. So he's like, if you're following the inspiration that's on the inside of us, uh, something different is going to happen in our lives. It says, he brings gifts to our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick to things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness preeminates every way of life and all people. We ourselves are involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, and we're able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. It says, legalism is helpless in bringing this about and only gets in the way. Among those who are followers of Jesus, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good as we follow Jesus. So he says, as you're following your inspiration, it's not going to matter what everyone else says you, you need to have, what those constant cravings and compulsions. He says, the, the Spirit starts to put fruit in our lives, this compassion, this exuberance for life, this serenity. Serenity now! I just watched that Seinfeld episode last night, which is awesome. Uh, And he says it's it's easy because it's producing, the Spirit is producing this on the inside of us. We don't have to chase after these things. It's not like chasing after happiness. It's something that gets embedded in us as we follow after God's way of doing things. Um, And then he says the kind of really applicable thing to this is he's like, you and God are cool, and we can't, that has to be the foundation for everything, is that God's love cannot be shaded for you. But he's like, make no mistake, in verse 7, God can't be mocked. What you give is what you're going to get. What you sow is what you're going to harvest. Those who sow seeds to their flesh, or this selfish interest or desires, are only going to harvest destruction. But those who sow seeds into the Spirit shall harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. We shall never tire of doing what is good and right before our Lord, because... In his season, he shall bring in a great harvest if we just persist. So seize any opportunity God gives you to do good things and be a blessing to everyone, especially to those within our faith family. It's this starting to see thoughts, actions as seeds that are either going to bring in a new way of life, a new kingdom around us that Jesus has already begun 2,000 years ago, that we participate in making this world healthier, whole, more beautiful, like this garden analogy in the original poem, we're invited in to, to this, and our actions are seeds that produce this. But it's the same way if we're just chasing selfish cravings, it's seeds that are producing the opposite of this. It's not just like a pause button, it's, it's the reverse of everything that's going on. If we're all chasing our own self-interest and no one's caring for one another, he's like, it's, it's chaos, it's destruction, it's completely opposite of this kingdom that we long for, that we want for now. Jesus is trying to get us off this this mindset of a kingdom far away that maybe when we pass away someday, and talking about a kingdom among us right now, a way of life that invites others in, 
And this is this letter to the Galatians that he follows up with, is that there's something that we can do about this together. And there's a lot of great we's to take this as community and not just single-focused. We as a community, he tells us to not think we're better than someone who slips next to us and to lend a hand and to not judge and to carry each other's burdens and to be there when, one, when, when each other fails or falls. And that each person has our own story to write. I love how Paul includes this in so many letters that you have a story to write. You're an epistle still being written out. The story of how the creator is loving and influencing you, that's the story that people are going to connect with. Paul has three analogies trying to get their mind around what this looks like and he's like your own life is a story your own life is an analogy that your friends your family your neighbors can look at and see something different going on something beyond this selfish world that's just consumed with getting more of what it wants um and so let's just pray and then let's go into discussion and see where this takes us uh paul prays at the end that he would never put anything above the cross of jesus and making sure that jesus is the only thing that matters and so we pray that the grace of God just infuses us, infuses our spirits with his love, with his generosity, with his compassion, with those gifts that we, we, we talked about, love, joy, peace, patience, this exuberance for life, this understanding that each one of us would be made anew and usher in a better, more loving, more God-inspired world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.